Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Happy New Year. <clears throat> you made it. You made it through. God kept you and you made it. So for that, we give him praise, honor, and glory. <clears throat> Excuse me. Welcome to Liberty Church of Peoria. We invite you to come in to receive a word from the Lord today. We pray that you would be encouraged, that you would be uplifted, and that you would just pause and take a moment to rejoice uh, unto the Father who saved us, who kept us, who has redeemed us, who continually provides for us. He is such a good, good God. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. In one translation, it says, this is the day which the Lord has saved me. Mm. He saved me from the plot and plan of the enemy. He saved you. He kept you. He covered you. And so since we see a brand new day, we will rejoice and give him praise. Let's go to the throne of the Father with prayer and uh, be expecting a great word from the Lord today. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for the opportunity to just sit and minister with your people. We thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to sit at your feet and to hear from heaven, Lord God, yes, Lord. to hear from the eternal land mm -hmm. of how we should move and how we should go and how we are to be encouraged and wow. to be reproved and rebuked by your word, Lord. Mm -hmm. We thank you for covering us. We thank you for keeping us, Lord God. We thank you for allowing us to see 2021. Father, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for your people. We know that we have an expected end in you. So Lord God, we sit at your feet today to hear from heaven, to hear Lord God, what thus saith the Lord. I pray for encouragement for all of those out there. I pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen them, that you would give us fresh new vision, Lord God. Father, I pray that a fresh new anointing would fall upon us, Lord, as we embark into a new year, Lord God, to do what you say do, to honor you in everything that we do, to show your glory in the earth, Lord God. I'm praying for your people. I'm praying for salvation for those who don't know you, those who are desolate, those who are downtrodden, those who are just feel like there is no end, that there is no hope. I'm here to let you know that your hope lies in Jesus Christ. I plead the blood. I plead his anointing right now. I pray, Lord God, that you would just touch us. Give us ears to hear your word today. Give us hearts to receive it. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. As she has said, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And, then, and happy new year. We are here. We are in 2021. And if you can see me and if you can hear me, you made it. You made it. God has brought us through. God has turned the page, and despite the worldwide pandemic, which we are still battling, the civil unrest and the craziness of the short-timer in the White House, we have turned the page on another year, 2021. But I'm not going to stay here very long because we have a lot to get to on today because I am still under a prophetic mandate. A prophetic mandate. A prophetic mandate is an authoritative command from the Lord. It is an authorization, an order. It's a commission at the direction of God, the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. And the Bible is not just the word of God. It's the voice of God in print. Now, the mandate, the prophetic mandate that I am under is not based on man's calendar. It, it is based in and on God's prophetic calendar set from God's prophetic clock. In other words, time is winding up. And God has declared that 2021 is the year of transition. That's what he told me. It's the year of transition. And the foundation scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 from the New King James. It says this. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. 
transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And as you know, our mission for Liberty Church is being tra transforming believers into disciples. So we are moving. We are in transition. We are going from glory to glory. Now, transition means movement. It means passage. It means change from one position, state, stage, subject, or concept. It means movement. It means passage. It means to change from one position, state, stage, subject, or concept. In music, it means from passing one key to another. It means modulation. In, in, in movie making, it means to move from one scene to another. Now, as a church, we need to be prepared for the transition before the next dispensation. And I'm going to tell you in a minute what I'm talking about. And prayerfully, as God leads, we'll make it more clear. The church needs to be prepared for transition before the next dispensation. And part of the preparation is to first understand where we are. Okay? Where we are. I'm glad you asked. We are in the grace dispensation. We are in the grace dispensation. Now, I need you to hang with me so that we can have the right concepts as we go where God is leading us today. Because when you start with the wrong concept, it will lead you to misconception. So I need you to hang in, lock in, get your Bible, get you some notes. Listen again at this message because you got to, we need the right concepts in order to be prepared before the next dispensation. Now, dispensationalism is a theological system for describing how God interacts with people in different periods of history, and they are called dispensations. It's a theological system for describing how God interacts with people in different periods of history, and they are called dispensation. Now, what is a dispensation? It's a divine ordering of the affairs of the world. A dispensation is an appointment, it's an arrangement, or favor as by God. It's a divinely appointed order or age. It's a divinely appointed order or age. As I have said many, many times, despite the chaos that's going on in the world, God is in control. Despite the chaos that's going on in the world, God is in control. And when you are looking through the word, you can find seven distinct dispensations or ways of doing things that were God-ordered and God-ordained. There are seven distinct dispensations in the Bible. Now. Each dispensation has a purpose in the overall story. But let me let you in on a little secret. Uh, we, have been, we have been through five dispensations. We are currently in the sixth dispensation. And we need to be preparing for the last or the seventh dispensation. Okay? Now, when, you, when it comes to reading the Bible, you just can't read the Bible. You have to read the Bible, okay? Now, here are some brief uh, descriptions of each dispensation. Dispensation number one we have been through is, or according to the word, is called the dispensation of innocence. The dispensation of innocence. This, dispensation's this dispensation covers the time from the creation of man to the fall of man found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, and Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. In this dispensation, all of God's creatures lived at peace with themselves and with each other, and the world was without sin or death. Man's command was to procreate, rule the earth and the animals, and take care of the garden. 
He was commanded not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Eve and Adam disobeyed this command and were expelled from the garden as punishment, ending the dispensation of innocence. And because mankind was no longer innocent, the dispensation of innocence. The next dispensation came as called the dispensation of conscience, the dispensation of conscience. The expulsion from the garden began this dispensation. It was a time when man was left to rule himself by his own will and conscience, both of which had been tainted by sin, right? Because of what Adam and Eve did, or even Adam did. It was a disaster, and it ended in disaster, the worldwide flood. This dispensation is found in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through chapter 8, verses 22. During this dispensation, man became so wicked that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and God regretted making man, and he was grieved in his heart. The, and during this dispensation, this was also a time when fallen angels married human women and produced produced giant and evil offspring called Nephilim, fallen or mighty ones, according to Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4. God chose to end humanity with the flood and begin again with Noah and his family, as written in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. This dispensation lasted about 1,600 years. The dispensation of conscience. The next dispensation is the dispensation of human government. The dispensation of human government. The dispensation of human government began just after the flood. God made promises and gave commands to Noah and his family. God promised not to curse the earth again and never to flood it again. He commanded Noah and his sons to repopulate the world and scatter across the earth, and he allowed them to use animals for food. Remember, in the dispensation of innocence, God told Adam and Eve to tend the garden which, and, and, and be in, in control of the animals, which alluded to the fact that they were vegetarians. But in this dispensation, he told uh, Noah that they could use uh, animals for food. Noah's descendants failed to fill the earth as was commanded and instead worked together to build the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. And God had to counter this action, how? By confusing their languages, creating different nations and cultures that later spread to different areas. They didn't do it as God did it, so God had to do something to, to deal with the action of building this tower because they were trying to build it to heaven, if you remember the story. This was the beginning of human government. Hmm. Next dispensation is the dispensation of promise. The dispensation of human government lasted until the call of Abraham. The call of Abraham, the lives of the patriarchs, and the enslavement of the Jewish people to Egypt all fall under the dispensation of promise. This was the time Abraham's descendants waited for the promise that was given to Abraham that God would make his descendants a great nation and give them their own land according to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And this dispensation ended with the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. Once they left Egypt, they were officially a nation led by God into the wilderness toward the promised land. Now, the next dispensation, I'm getting there. I'm putting all this foundation for you because you need to understand where we are. The, dis the next dispensation was the dispensation of law. The dispensation of law lasted almost 1,500 years 
beginning with the Exodus and ending with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The delivery of the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law found in Exodus chapter 19 through Exodus chapter 23 outlined the standard of perfection that God required from his people and, and included the instructions about temple worship and sacrifices. This was the age of priests, prophets, and king, both good and evil. The people of Yahweh now, they kept, they repeatedly broke Yahweh's commands and wandered off after other gods. It is important to note that the strict following of commandments was never as important to God as mercy and being faithful to him. Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 in the New King James says, For I desire mercy or faithfulness and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God values your relationship with him more than he desires your service for him. He values a relationship with him more than he desires the service for him. You get that? The law was given to show the people that they needed to depend on God and to trust him to save them rather than trusting themselves, their own goodness, or other gods for salvation. God, let me, and I want to get this right, and I want you to hear me. God has never expected perfection. If he did, he would not have provided the sacrificial, sacrificial system as a, a way for man to say, yes, I have sinned. Huh. Here is a symbol of my need of forgiveness and atonement through the law. Remember, they had to sacrifice animals. That was their way to show their symbol for their need of forgiveness and atonement. Now, the next dispensation, which is the sixth one, and the one we will be focusing on today because we are in this one, that is the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace. Now, as I've mentioned before, well, I didn't mention it. At the dispensation of grace started at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it continues today. It is the new covenant in Christ's blood according to Luke chapter 22, verse 20. This, this dispensation is also called the church age. And scholars believe that the, the entire dispensation, more than 2,000 years, occurs between the 69th and 70th weeks in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Atonement was provided on the cross once and for all for any who would believe Abraham's children for anyone who would believe Abraham's children are all those who have faith, including Gentiles, which means it's you and me, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Romans chapter 3, verse 29 through 30, and Galatians chapter, 7, chapter 3, verse 7 and 29. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10. And then also you can throw in verse 14, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Romans chapter 3, verse 29 through 30, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 29. But during this dispensation, which the other dispensations did not have, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Comforter with us. And he, he indwells believers according to John chapter 14, verses 16 through 26. Dispensationalists believe that the dispensation of grace will end with the rapture of the church found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and then in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, and then the tribulation, the seven years when those who dwell on the earth will experience God's judgment and wrath. 
we need to prepare. We need as the church or as believers to pre be prepared for the return of Christ because after we are raptured off the earth uh, and after a period of time, the seventh dispensation will be initiated and that's the millennial kingdom of Christ. We're not going into that because we're, we're talking about the sixth uh, dispensation, which is uh, the dispensation of grace. But for the sake of time, I'll just point out that this dispensation, the millennial kingdom of Christ, will begin with the defeat of Satan and will usher in a thousand years of peace where Christ will reign on the earth according to Revelation chapter 20. So I had to say all that to say this. We have been through five. We are in six, working toward the seventh. All right. We are in the dispensation of grace. We are in the church age. This is the age of the church. And the church is not the building. The church is believers who are filled and led by the Holy Spirit doing the work of the kingdom. All right. Now, the late great king of gospel music, James Cleveland, penned these words. There is something about God's grace. He said in one of the verses, it will lift you when you're falling. There is something about the grace of God. Then he says in another verse, I don't want it to leave me now. It brought me too far, and I know that there is something about God's grace. Today, we are going to learn what that something is. And repeat this after me. There is nothing like the grace of God. There is nothing like the grace of God. Grace, as described by Dr. Tony Evans, is the inexhaustible goodness of God, which he freely bestows or gives as a gift to human being, beings, which is undeserved, unearned, and unable to be repaid. The grace of God is undeserved, it's unearned, and it's unable to be repaid. Grace is God's unmerited favor. I'm sure you heard that before. Grace should serve as a believer's motivation for righteous living and good works. And your attitude for God's grace should provide the moving force for obedience, worship, and fellowship with the Lord. Your personal power and strength becomes perfected as you experience a greater level of God's grace. You hear me? Your personal power and strength becomes perfected. That's the perfection that God wants. He's, he wants you to get at, at you want, he wants you to experience a greater level of his grace. How do you do that? By knowing that it's a gift that comes from him. And this is how God uses his grace. He uses his grace to save you. Hmm. He uses his grace to save you. Let's go to Ephesians. Chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, God uses his grace during this grace dispensation to save you and to save me. Well, how do you know? Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. He says, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2 says, where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Verse 5 says this, even when we were dead in sins or dead because of our sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. 
for by grace you are saved. And he and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places or realms in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is what? Gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There it is. For we are his workmanship, or we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, when someone gives us a gift, is the appropriate response to, to that gift is to say, that's nice, or how much do I owe you? No, the appropriate response is to say what? Thank you. Yet how often do believers, even after they have been given the gift of salvation, feel obligated to try and work their way to God? Now, you need to understand this. Your salvation and even your faith are gifts that come from God. And your response should be gratitude, praise, and joy, not trying to work your way back to him or work your way trying to earn a free favor or gift or something else that he's already given you. Now, you become a Christian, as it said, through God's unmerited favor, for by grace are you saved, not by works. That is the definition of grace. You don't become one because of any effort, ability, an intelligent choice, or an act of service on your part. This grace is only available through faith. And if grace is what God deposited for you, faith is the way you make that withdrawal. Mm. You hear me? If grace is what God deposited for you or gave you, put in the bank for you, your faith is the way to make that withdrawal. Not your works, it's your faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you this. This is your life before and after Christ. Before you were dead because of sin, but after you were made alive with Christ. Before you were under God's anger, but after you were shown God's mercy and given salvation. Before you follow the ways of the world, but after you stand for Christ and truth. Before you were God's enemy, but after you became his child. Before you were enslaved by the devil, but after you were free in Christ to love, serve, and sit with him. You hear me? You were once enslaved by the devil. But now, you, since you received Jesus as your Savior, God's free gift of grace, you are free to love, serve, and sit with him, a place of honor, before you followed your own evil thoughts and desires, but after you were raised up with Christ to glory. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, like God's grace, and he uses his grace to save you, and he uses his grace to support you. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. There is nothing like God's grace. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 1, and we'll keep reading. It says this. Verse 5, I mean, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified, or just as if you hadn't sinned, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. God supports us with his grace. We stand in grace. We stand on grace and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, the dynamics of God's grace speak these truths. God has been reconciled through the, to the world, to us, 
through Jesus' sacrifice, according to verse 10. We have received unmerited favor and unconditional acceptance no matter what we have done, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. The empowerment that his grace gives you, let me put it this way, we receive empowerment that flows through his grace so that we can complete the task that he gives us or walk in the purpose that he gives us to serve out in time, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Now, taken together, these truths bring you to a place as a believer of genuine freedom, where you are free to obey God, not to obtain his favor, because he has already given you, you hear me? His favor. You, you are free to obey him, not to obtain favor, but you have already been given his favor, which should spur you into obedience because you know that you know that you know that you have already received his grace and you already have his favor on your life. Praise God. Uh, and within, within his unconditional acceptance given to you because of what Jesus done, this is really important. You are freed from the need to monitor your behavior and you are loosed into the joy of knowing his friendship. I said that to say this. You don't have to monitor your behavior if you live in the God kind of life. In other words, you're going to try to live your life to please God, not monitor and hold your and, and, and continually focus on what you do or what you are not doing. Why? Because when you focus strictly on your righteousness, you will divert your attention from his loveliness, which will ultimately erode your dependence on him to produce beauty in you, his character. Let me put it this way so that you can get an understanding. When you focus on every step that you're taking, you are taking your focus off of him. Because when you're focusing on him, you will make the right steps during the right decision because you'll walk in the wisdom that he gives. Seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And as you're seeking his kingdom first, you don't have to worry about the steps that you are taking because your steps will be ordered from him. Hallelujah. Yeah. His grace frees you from wearing self-generated endeavors and releases you to allow the Holy Spirit within you to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, it'll free, it'll free you from taking on tasks that are not yours because you'll receive what he has to give you as you allow the Holy Spirit to will and to do for his good pleasure. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, like God's grace. His grace will support you because you're standing on it. And every step you take, you're stepping on grace. Mm. Every run, every race you run, the race you're running, you're running on, on, on roads paved by grace. Huh. Praise God. There's nothing like God's grace. He'll use his grace to teach you, too. Let's go to Titus. Chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. He uses his grace to save you. He uses his grace to support you. He uses his grace to teach you. Titus chapter 2. And we'll look at verse number 11. Starting at verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the King. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Verse 15 says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. No one, as I've said before, in a different way, is beyond God's rescue. No matter who he or she is or what he or she has done. In fact, I want you to take note of this, that the worst people in society are exactly those whom God seeks for his rescue project. God don't want you seeking that, those that are already fixed up. He wants you seeking those who are actually the worst from your viewpoint so that God can bring out his best in them. Hallelujah. And the grace of God appeared and emerged out of the shadows of the law. Let's go quickly to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 14. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And verse 16 says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace, or God's grace and truth, came by Jesus Christ. Let me take, put it where you can get it. Grace is not just a doctrine. It's a person. Grace has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ, your King and Savior who says, come to me. He was full of grace and truth. Why? Because he is grace and truth. God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. He gave us his grace. Jesus, who was full of grace and truth because he was grace and truth. Grace will grow you in godliness and it will increase your victory over sin. So in other words, you got to get full of Jesus Christ. Ah, Because grace is not just a doctrine or a feeling. Grace is Jesus Christ himself. Ah, great God's grace is personified in the person and work of Jesus Christ and is the foundation for both justification and sanctification since it enables good works that you are commanded to do. There is nothing like God's grace. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Can't nobody do me like God's grace. Ah, Jesus. But God's grace will not only teach you, it will discipline you. It will discipline you. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. We are in the grace dispensation. This is the church age. The grace dispensation is not for our use. It's for God to use us in this time. And he uses his grace to save us, to teach us, to support us. He's going, and he uses his grace to discipline us. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, there it is. It says, and I'm going to just start at verse 1 because I like verse 1 and 2. <laughs> Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We can do that. Why? Because we're stepping on grace. Mm. Looking unto Jesus, who is grace, I'm throwing that in there, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured what? The cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured 
such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. Verse 4 says, you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Verse 5 says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Verse 6 says, for whom the Lord loveth, he does what? Chasteneth. And he scourgeth, or giving punishes, every son whom he received. Verse 7 says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as what? With sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Or in other words, which son is he who don't get a whooping? Hmm. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards or illegitimate and not sons. Verse 9 says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10 says, For verily a, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of what? His holiness. And last verse, verse 11 says, no, now no chastening for the present seem to be joyous. In other words, you ain't going to like it, but grievous. Uh, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It has a, it has a purpose unto them which, exer which are exercised thereby. And let me read verse 5 and 6 again. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation, or the, another translation says, the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. Uh, my son, despise not thou thy chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and scoureth every son whom he received. Now, when I was growing up, <laughs> I used to get those whoopings, and they used to tell me, I whoop you because I love you. At the time during the whooping, of course, I didn't think they did. But now looking back, I realized that they did love me. They were trying to mold my character. They were trying to get me to understand authority and respect authority and that there are consequences for every action. Now, the other day, Judge Faith Jenkins Lattimore said something that caught my attention. She said, pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. The writer here is quoting Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12, and encourages them to endure suffering as discipline because God is treating them as sons. Now, let me put it where you can get it. I'm not a big proponent to say suffer because for, just for the, uh, for the, for the sake, sake of suffering, but suffering with God's purpose in mind. If you are going through right now, you need to ask God, what is it that you're trying to show me? And I'm willing to endure this suffering so that I can draw closer to you, so that I can be who you need me to be during this church age. Because I can't be who you need me to be during this church age just as I am. And I need the discipline that you're giving me right now to show me the right way. Discipline includes both positive and negative repercussions, instructions, and corrections. As parents, we are commissioned to instruct our children and to train them to live with wisdom. But when that child is disobedient, a loving parent should also discipline them, not be their friend. Mm. God is our friend, yet and still he is our heavenly father. And as our heavenly father, he has the right to discipline those that are his. And if you are a believer, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have now become a son or a daughter, which gives God the right to discipline you. Hmm. And if as a parent, we take that matter seriously, how much more does God? Take it seriously. Mm. God is a perfect parent who disciplines his children perfectly.
Verse 7 says, but if you are without chastisement, whereof you are all partakers. I'm reading a different translation. If God doesn't discipline you as he does with all his children, it means you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Illegitimate children in ancient Rome had no right and could not be beneficiaries of an inheritance. If you are an illegitimate child, you don't have a right to God's inheritance to be a partaker. The Greek term for partakers is the same word as companion or partner. This writer was reminding them and informing us that if you want to be Jesus' special companions, partners, or partakers and receive the inheritance, which is, which is his kingdom blessings in time and his kingdom crown in eternity, you must be willing to submit to God's fatherly discipline so that you will grow. It's always for our good. I'm going to say this and then I'll be through. God's grace is not a feeling. It's not a season. God's grace is a dispensation. And there is nothing like God's grace. We are in the church age. And God is going to send Jesus back for his church. The church is not limited to the building. The church are a special people, a peculiar person. That's you and me. That's believers who are willing to be transformed into disciples. And part of that transformation process must be discipline. God uses his grace to save us, to support us, to teach us, and to discipline us. There is nothing like God's grace. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your grace. And as we grow into deeper knowledge of your grace, we ask you, God, to continue to show us, lead us, guide us into your truth, Lord. And we understand that Jesus is grace, full of grace and truth, because he is grace and truth and full of it. Lord, I, under, I, I pray right now, God, for those who are listening under the sound of my voice who are watching this broadcast, if you don't know him, get to know him today and receive him as your Lord and Savior. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Take control of my life. I want to live my life for you. Satan, you should have got me when you had me. I rebuke you now. Holy Spirit, teach me, lead me, guide me into everything that God would have me to be during this dispensation. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you are one of the ones that have stepped back because of whatever reason from God, this is your time to get reconnected to him. If 2020 didn't show you nothing else, it should have shown you how much you need God. And if you hear me, see me, wave your hands, heard this word, get reconnected to him. And let nothing or, no, let nothing or anybody keep you from him because God sent Jesus to die for us to have a relationship. And that's what he wants. He wants a relationship. It's not about sacrifice and all of that. That comes, but it's about relationship. And if you'd like to sow into our ministry, please follow the link below or mail it to 2828 West Flint Street. The zip code is 61604. And also, if you'd like to listen to this or any other teaching, please go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and YouTube. And I, I encourage you to go back and listen to this as well as others, but this specifically because uh, as we go forward in this year, you're going to need to know about grace. And I'll also like to give a special thank God to Minister Cynthia Green, who lives in Atlanta but is still part of 
our ministry, the media ministry, to make all of those outlets possible. Thank God for that. Please be in prayer for all who are battling COVID, including our nephew, Dewan, who's battling right now. Pray for him. Pray for all of those who are going through it right now. And also, please pray for those who have lost loved ones because of COVID and other uh, situations and circumstances. Please pray for them. Pray for our frontline workers, nurses and doctors, and all those who, who have been dealing with this for months and months and months. Please pray for those. And also, I encourage you to continue to wear your mask, socially distance, and wash your hands, even if you get the vaccine or even if you have received it. Continue to be safe. Be careful, not fearful. Be prayerful overall. And let us not leave with malice in our hearts. But let us leave with love for one another. Let us leave with a prayer, not for ourselves, but for others. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field. You are blessed going out. You are blessed coming in. The enemy, he comes in one way, but he has to flee seven ways. Why? You are blessed. You have God's unmerited favor if you are a believer. Uh, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are the lender and not the borrower. So I speak life to you in 2021. I speak life to your family in 2021. I speak life to your finances in 2021. I speak life to your health in 2021. Be blessed, Larissa, and I love you very much. Please join us next week. Blessings.